0: All right, so we're in Leviticus chapter 17, and Leviticus, the first several chapters, talked about the sacrifices and offerings, and then it talked about the ordination of the priests. The significance for us is that Aaron is foreshadowing the high priest Jesus, and all the other priests are foreshadowing us. We're members of a royal priesthood, and in Leviticus 16, the last lesson, we talked about the Day of Atonement, and the significance of that is explained in Hebrews, where the Day of Atonement is where the high priest enters into the most holy place. He's the only one who can do that. All the other priests have to clear out, and he goes through the veil into the The most holy place which represents the presence of God, and he has to go in with blood. He goes in every year, but he only goes in once a year on one specific day. And all the requirements about the Day of Atonement are for the purpose of foreshadowing what Christ would do once for all time, not once a year. And not a sacrifice that be repeated over and over again every year, but a sacrifice coming into the presence of God with his own blood. And the curtain represents the body of Christ as it explains in Hebrews 9 and 10. So in Leviticus 17, what we're going to look at today talks about the significance of blood and laws related to blood. And this is actually rather significant backdrop for a lot of things in the New Testament. For one thing, Hebrews 9 and 10 talks a lot about The significance of blood and why Christ had to shed his own blood for us to be forgiven. Which ties back into all the things in the Old Covenant are foreshadowing this and are pointing to this. And of course Hebrews is important as I mentioned before. So this is an important concept to understand in the book of Hebrews. Is understanding the importance of blood and the blood of Christ. Hebrews is important for Christians, for those who are already Christians. One of the most important books in the New Testament Because it's talking about what is it going to take for us to make it to the end. It's just talking about persevering in the faith. The righteous will live by faith. My righteous one will live by faith. The Christ is the faithful priest over the house of God. And we have to be the faithful house of God. And what is that going to look like? So that's really what the book of Hebrews is all about. About the importance of persevering and enduring in the face of whatever trials may come our way. So it's important for that. And Hebrews is also important for those who aren't Christians or truth seekers because it explains how all these things in the old system were in detail foreshadowing what would be fulfilled 1,400 years later in Jesus Christ. Now, understanding the importance of blood in the old sacrificial system is useful for us Christians in several ways. There are a number of statements by Peter and Paul and John in their letters which draw on this imagery to talk about the blood of Christ and and how this has has an impact on our lives. It ties into the Lord's Supper. It, It helps us to understand what Jesus did in the atonement and atoning for our sins. It helps us to appreciate the high cost that we were redeemed at and therefore, which is one powerful reason we need to stay away from sin, It also is a backdrop for the whole discussion in John 6 where Jesus made a statement that the Jews, his own followers, really struggled over. And it was a major stumbling block for the Jews. We'll we'll talk about all these things in what's coming. So this this is is something that actually ties into a lot of things in the New Testament and is useful for us in our own spiritual walk to have a better understanding of. Now, in the first 16 chapters of Leviticus, what we've covered so far, there's actually been a lot of discussion about blood. That in all, in most of the chapters, there's some mention about blood. If you think about it, when it talks about the animal sacrifices, there, there, the four different types of animal sacrifices, uh, out of the five sacrifices, one of them is a grain offering, but the animal sacrifices, in every one of them. You have to do something special, something different with the blood. So the blood may be poured out, it may be sprinkled uh, on something, it may be poured out, or or things like that. In the story about the ordination of the priests in Leviticus 8 and 9, it talks about blood is important to that. And the blood is is put on the, the thumb and the big toe of the priest's and there's the sprinkling of blood that goes on. So blood is an important part of the, not only of the individual sacrifices, but the ordination of the priest. The blood plays an important part of that. In the story of the purification for leprosy in Leviticus 14, we talked about blood comes into that. If somebody wants to be healed of leprosy, and leprosy is a a, a type or a foreshadowing of sin that we have to be because you know, it, it defiles us, it makes us impure, it tends to spread. And you have to isolate those who are involved in it. Uh, but the the, the the way that a person is healed or, or cleansed of leprosy, remember it involves the, the two birds and the scarlet wool and the, and the and the cedar wood and the water. And one bird is killed and the blood of the of the bird goes into the water and then the other bird is dipped into the water so the cleansing for leprosy involves blood also so blood's involved in all these different things and then the day of atonement of course the high priest enters into the enters into the most holy place he goes through the veil and he and he has to bring blood and he has to do specific things with blood where he puts it on the east side of the of the, uh, uh, of the mercy seat. And, and, and he, he uses, he's using blood, he's using blood at the golden altar of incense and at the mercy seat. So, so blood is involved in the day of atonement. It talks about that in Hebrews, that the, ho- the holy priest, the high priest could enter the most holy place only once a year, but he always had to enter with blood. He entered with the blood of, an- of animals. Christ entered the most holy place heaven itself with his own blood on our behalf. So blood all over the place. Here in the in in Leviticus there's lots of mention to blood and so this is one chapter that really focuses on the blood and actually gives us some a little more insight. The whole thing, the whole thing of blood is a bit of a mystery to me. And you know, there's certain things I can say about it and say, well, this is what God says, but as far as explaining how everything fits together and why it had to be blood, there's only so much that I can say. There's some of these things that are that are completely beyond me. So or I can I can speculate, but I don't, I don't really know for sure. So the question, why is why the big emphasis and what's the big deal about blood? I want to share a story with you. And unlike, uh, uh, usually when I share stories about Allison that are a little bit embarrassing, uh, I don't ask her beforehand and she doesn't always appreciate that. But in this case, I actually did ask her beforehand to share with you. So Allison, as I mentioned earlier, is in Mass General Hospital. She's been there. Uh, since Monday morning she was admitted to the emergency room and she'll be there for it looks like the better part of another week for uh, so she had she had one surgery and she's and she's anticipating the other one she's uh, thank God she's doing well and she's under excellent medical care but uh, Allison yesterday so I was spending a lot of time with Allison in the hospital and I was sitting sitting in a chair in front of her, For bed, and she was saying to me, she asked me a question yesterday afternoon. She said, "Could you please fill me in on what you're going to be preaching on tomorrow? Could you tell me all the all the details? What are the points you're going to make, and everything? Could you tell me about your lesson tomorrow?" And I said, "Well, I said it's on Leviticus 17, which is about blood." And she said, "That's enough. I don't want to hear any of the details." (laughs) Okay, (laughs) because. I mean, talk about having a visceral reaction to the subject matter. Uh, Allison was telling me that you know, she, they're, they're, all, they're all double rooms and they have curtains separating you, but you can hear everything that's going on on the other side of the curtain with the other person in the room. And I guess the woman on the other side who was getting a blood transfusion and without going into the details, let's just say it didn't go well. And so there was uh, red stuff all over the place. And uh, Allison, you know, that definitely... Uh, uh, it triggers some 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 strong feelings and emotional reactions. To Allison, plus when you're in the hospital, you're getting jabbed all the time. Uh, it's like you're a pincushion. They're sticking things into your left arm, your right arm. They're looking for veins. So there's there's you're always dealing with blood when when you're in the hospital. And and you can normally we can't see our blood. It's 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 in, running around inside our body doing its thing. We don't have to think about it. But in the hospital you're really conscious about blood because every time somebody sticks you, when you have surgery, and, and then there's the potential for having blood transfusions, things like that. So blood is a big deal now. Mm-hmm. So Allison's reaction was, I don't want to hear about the blood right now. So if anybody everybody anybody feels the same way and they need to it's too traumatic and they need to tune out. Uh, I can certainly appreciate that. But for those who can ha- hang in there, we can maybe get some, some good things out of it. So uh, uh, blood kind of bothers me. I used to work as a sanitary engineer, and I went around in sewers, and people would say, how can you handle that? And I'd much rather be working in sewers than be working in a hospital with blood all the time, I'll tell you that. That's a, that's just too much for me. The smell of blood and, and the sight of it is uh, is, is kind of tough. So let's start off Leviticus 17, verses 1 to 9. Alice is tremendously supportive to uh, my, my teaching and, and the lessons and, and everything else. And this is I think this is the only time that I've ever remember her saying, please don't tell me about the lessons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leviticus chapter 17. Let's read the first nine verses. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the children of Israel and say to them, This is the thing the Lord commanded, saying, Whatever man of the children of Israel or resident aliens dwelling among them kills a young bull, a sheep, or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp but does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of testimony to offer it as a whole burnt offering or a peace offering to the Lord acceptable for a sweet aroma. And whatever man kills outside... And does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of testimony, so as to offer it as a gift to the Lord before the Lord's tabernacle, blood shall be reckoned to that man. For he has shed blood, and that man shall be utterly destroyed from among the people, that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices they kill in the fields to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of testimony to the priests, and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. The priest shall pour the blood upon the altar all around before the Lord at the doors of the tabernacle of testimony and offer the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to worthless things after whom they prostituted themselves. This shall be an ordinance forever for you throughout your generations. Also, you shall say to them, Whatever man of the children of Israel or the resident aliens who dwell among you offers a whole burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of testimony to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be utterly destroyed from among his people. So, um, so it talks about if you're sacrificing an animal inside the camp or outside the camp, That you need to bring the animal that's that's that you killed is being sacrificed to the temple, and here's and here's what you need to do with the blood. And anyone who doesn't do that is going to be cut off. Now, I don't think he's talking about killing an animal because you want to, you know, have a a hamburger, make you know a hamburger or lamb chops or something like that. In context here, I think he's talking about a sacrifice. I would assume that certainly seems like it. Because in what it says in verse 7. It says, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to worthless things after whom they prostituted themselves. So, now when is this taking place? The book of Leviticus, the rules and regulations are given while the people were camped at Mount Sinai. So this is a matter really of, of months at most after the incident in Exodus 32 of the golden calf. So the people there are offering, they make the golden calf say these are the gods that led you out of of Egypt and they're offering sacrifices to them in Exodus 32 when Moses comes down from the mountain and smashes the tablets and, and, and reacts very strongly against that. So I also think about in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, the first commandment is I am the Lord your God, you'll have no other gods before me, and you won't bow down and worship them, and, and so forth. Uh, so, so he, he, we're, they're only to offer their, their sacrifices to God. So God says right here. I think this to me this is a reiteration, basically, of the the concepts that are laid out in the first commandment, which they violated very soon after that uh, in in the in the account of the golden calf at Mount Sinai. So He says, don't offer anything to the worthless things, the idols, the images, the other gods. So that's the first point, which I think is pretty straightforward. And he says, uh, and then let's continue there in verse 10. Now this this gets a little, I think, to me more interesting here. Verse 10, it says, And whatever man of the children of Israel or the resident aliens dwelling among you eats any blood... I will set my face against that soul who eats blood and will utterly destroy him from among his people. For the life of all flesh is in its blood, and I give it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For its blood makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any resident alien who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel, the resident aliens dwelling among you, hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dirt. For the life of all flesh is in its blood. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be utterly destroyed. Every soul who eats what died naturally, or what is torn by wild animals, whether a native of your own country or resident alien, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water, And be unclean until evening, then he shall be clean. But if he does not both wash his body and bathe in water, he shall bear his guilt. So, so to me, some very interesting statements about blood. Think about this. What is he saying? There's There's a strong prohibition against blood, against eating blood. And then he explains why, but it's, it's a bit mysterious to me. He says, the life of all flesh is in its blood. So the idea is that the life, of, the life of an animal, of a cow or a sheep, is somehow or other in its blood. What does that mean? I'm not sure. But it says, the life is in the blood. This is something that is holy, that is sacred. So before you eat one of the you know, obviously you're only going to eat the clean animals before you eat a clean animal a goat a sheep a cow you have to drain all the blood out of it so you you drain all the blood out it goes out on the ground you cover it up with dirt and yes he says that's what you have to do before you eat an animal you can't eat the blood of the animal and then he also makes an sta- a statement here he says the blood is to make atonement for your souls. Now think about what Jesus did for us. This To me, this is foreshadowing the significance. He says blood makes... So life is in the blood, and blood makes atonement for your souls. And he doesn't say animal blood makes atonement for your souls. He says blood makes atonement for your souls. So don't... The the blood is something special. You don't don't eat the blood. You don't drink the blood. We talked about last time the, the atonement the idea of cleansing and reconciliation is is tied up with this whole word is this word of atonement so it's cleansing and reconciliation for us to be cleansed of our sins for us to be reconciled to god the same 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 greek word shows up as we talked about last time in the story in genesis 32 when jacob was going back to, after 20 years of being separated from Esau and cheating Esau and dealing with him terribly, he sends wave after wave of gift to Esau. And the reason why he's doing this, he says it's to make atonement. So he's, gonna, he's he wants to reconcile. These gifts are being given to reconcile him to his brother. So that's the idea of Atonement. Reconciliation and cleansing, and, and these are some of the things that are tied up with the idea of atonement. So, the, it will take blood to reconcile us to God. And then there's another statement here. It says, if if you an animal, if you find an animal dead somewhere, okay, for us that would be roadkill. All right, there's the road, you know, the roadkill cafe, right? So, all right. It's roadkill. Basically, you find there's an animal dead. You know, a deer crosses the street and gets smashed into by a car, and it dies. It's on the side of the road, and so so some deer hunters will say, "Oh, great! There's there's a, there's, there's several weeks worth of good meat here." So you, I'll, I'll take the take the animal up where you find a, or a freshly dead animal by the side of the road. But it says if you find a dead animal, he says. You're really not. The idea is, is that if you eat an animal that you find dead, you're unclean. He doesn't say I'm going to cut you off from all the people, but the idea is you're unclean, so you better you're going to have to wash yourself. So that you're not, that's, that's, that's that's something you're really not supposed to do either. And you know, the idea is that when you kill an animal yourself, you can get all the blood out of it. If an animal just dies and you find it dead, that's another story. So it's a little different situation. So. Uh, <clears throat> So that, that situation, they're not supposed to eat roadkill. If they do, they've got their unclean. They have to wash themselves. Now, th- this whole idea of you can't eat blood, is this the first place in the Bible that it says you can't eat blood? Think about that. Is this the first place? Or is there an earlier place? Adam? There's an earlier place. That, that okay, that's, that's right. Do you remember where the earlier place was? I think it's like either Exodus or uh, or um, uh, Genesis. Good. I'll I'll take that. I'll take that as a good answer. Either Exodus or Genesis. So if it's gonna be before Leviticus, it's gotta be an Exodus or a Genesis. Good process of deduction. Actually. It is in Genesis, and it's in the story of the flood of what happens after the flood is over. Let's take a look there in in Genesis nine. The first mention, first prominent mention to me of blood is in is in Genesis four, where God says that the blood of Abel cries out for the crime of his brother. The, 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 Genesis chapter 9 is a statement about not eating blood. Let's pick it up in Genesis 8, verse 15. This is after the water recedes from the flood. Now, remember in Genesis 1, in the beginning, well, in the beginning, God said you can eat anything in the garden, all kinds of plants and fruits and things like that. You can eat anything in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they could eat from all kinds of plants. In Genesis 1.29, there's a statement that all the herbs, all the plants, that God gives those to man to eat. So before the time of the flood, people were allowed to eat plants from God. They were given permission to eat plants. And then after the flood, God expands on that. So let's uh, Genesis 8, 15. Then the Lord spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives with you. Also bring out with you every living thing of all flesh, birds and cattle, every creeping thing that moves on the earth, so they may abound on the earth, increase and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, along with his wife and his sons and their wives, Every animal, every bird, every creeping thing that moves upon the earth, according to their kind, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an ark to God and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered whole burnt offerings on the altar. So the Lord smelled the sweet aroma. Then the Lord thought it over and said, I will never again curse the earth because of man's works. Although the mind of man is diligently involved with evil things from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and spring, shall not cease by day or by night. Thus God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Increase and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it. For the dread and fear of you shall be on all the wild animals of the earth, all the birds of heaven and all that move upon the earth and all the fish of the sea. I have put them under your authority. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as I did the grain herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its lifeblood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of all the wild animals. I will require it, and I will require the life of man at the hands of his fellow man. Whoever sheds a man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, because I made man in God's image, so then, increase and multiply, and fill the earth, and have dominion over it. So he says, after the flood, a couple things change. One of them is he's, he makes a point of saying, you're not going to go around murdering people, right? He says explicitly, murder is, is murder is pr- prohibited. That I'm going to, you're not going to spill the blood of other people. But then the other the, thing, the other thing he says is you can now eat all kinds of animals whatever you want any kind of animals the things that creep along the earth so as you know what what will be later clean unclean animals but nothing with the blood with the life blood in it so first people were vegetarians and then after the flood they could they were omnivores they ate plants and animals but blood is prohibited. And so here in Leviticus where he says you can't eat the blood, this isn't a new command. This has been this was given actually. This is more ancient than the law of Moses. This goes all the way back to Noah. So there was there was never a time when people were allowed to eat blood from the very beginning. So this is a reiteration and God emphasizes it and he gives more more reasons. But uh, it's it says here You shall not eat flesh with its lifeblood for uh, surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. So there's a prohibition against blood here and then we learn in Leviticus he says because the life of the life of the animal is in the blood and you will be atoned by blood. So he's filling in more information on that. Genesis 49, there is a reference to blood in connection with Jesus that the early Christians saw. Let's turn to Genesis 49, the famous prophecy on Jacob's deathbed. Genesis 49. Jacob is near death and he blesses his sons starting with the oldest son when he reaches the fourth son Judah from which Jesus' descent would be descended this is the the great prophecy about the one who would be descended from Judah in Genesis 49 verse 8 I'm reading from a version that's based on the Septuagint. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from being a shoot, my son, you have grown up. He bowed down and slept as a lion and a cub who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from his loins until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the expectation of the nations." Binding his colt to a vine and his donkey's colt to its branch. And then this is the statement here. He will wash his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are gladdened from wine, his teeth are white of the milk. So in this prophecy, this is the idea that the the, the, the great ruler to come, that the nations are, are anticipating would be from Judah, that His father's son would bow down before him, the idea that he would be be worshipped and venerated. He is the lion's cub from Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That he bowed down and slept as a lion who shall rouse him. And so sleep there is a metaphor for death. So this is pointing to the resurrection. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. This is a great king who's going to come and then binding his colt to a vine is is donkey's colt to a branch this is when jesus before the last supper when jesus entered jerusalem uh, he he got the the donkey and the colt of the of the donkey that were tied up and entered on on them and then it says he'll wash his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of a grape and i'm going to read to you something that Justin Martyr wrote in his Dialogue with Trifo. So he's arguing with a Jew, and they're discussing this prophecy right here, that he's going to wash his robe in the blood of grape. Interesting way of describing wine. So this is from Dialogue with Trifo in uh, chapter 54. And Justin Martyr says, And that expression which was committed by writing to Moses and prophesied by the patriarch Jacob, namely, he shall wash his garments with wine and his vestiture with the blood of the grape, signified that he would wash those who believe in him with his own blood. For the Holy Spirit called those who received remission of sins through him his garments, amongst whom he is always present in power, but will be manifestly present at his second coming. That the scripture mentions the blood of the grape has been evidently designed because Christ derives blood not from the seed of man, but from the power of God. For as God and not man has produced the blood of the vine, so the scripture has predicted the blood of Christ would not be the seed of man, but the power of God. But this prophecy, sirs, which I repeated, proves that Christ is not man of men, Begotten in the ordinary course of humanity, so these saying this is this is an expression about the humanity and the divinity of Christ, and that that the robe is that we are the robe who are following Him, who be washed in the blood, the blood of the grape, the blood of of Christ, the who is who is divine. This is a prophecy that uh, early Christians saw another another element pointing to blood. Of course, Exodus chapter 12 is the story of, actually, before that, the first plague in Exodus of the ten plagues is turning the water into blood. And then the last plague in Exodus is the plague of the Passover, and the Lord says to kill the, the Passover lamb at twilight, and then they eat a meal of the lamb and they take the blood of the lamb and they put it on the door frame of the house. And the Lord says that when the, when the angel of death passes over, when he sees the blood, he, he will pass over the houses that are protected by the blood, but he will bring death to the firstborn in all of the other houses. So this the idea of the blood of the lamb protecting people from death. Okay, so this is, this, is, this, is, this is another foreshadowing. The blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ. A number of early Christians saw in the story, in, in Joshua, the story of Rahab. Rahab is the prostitute, and she takes in the two spies. And they tell her that they're, they're going to come back and the whole city's going to be wiped out, but they say, if you put this scarlet cord in your window. Then when the whole city is destroyed, your household will be spared. And it's very reminiscent to me of the story of the Passover. It's like the blood of the lamb, the scarlet cord. Why scarlet? Scarlet is the color of blood. And many early Christians saw in this story here that she is foreshadowing how the righteous few will be protected from destruction. When Jesus comes again by... The blood of the Lamb, that the scarlet cord is, rep- is foreshadowing the blood. Also, there are many many examples in, in foreshadowing the blood. First uh, Samuel fourteen, or if you, you can read in First Kingdoms, First Samuel fourteen, Saul's troops had been fasting. They hadn't eaten anything. And this is when uh, Jonathan eats the honey. He hadn't heard the story about this. He he hadn't heard his father's uh, edict. In verse 31, so this is after Saul's army had been fasting. It says, Now on that day Saul smote the Philistines at Michmash, but the people were extremely weary, and the people turned to the spoils and took sheep, oxen, and calves. And they slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. This was told Saul, saying, they have sinned against the Lord by eating with the blood. So Saul said, roll a large stone to me here out of Gethim. And Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, everyone bring his ox and sheep here and slaughter them here on this stone. Then eat, but do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So each of the people brought what was in his hand and they slaughtered them there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar he built to the Lord. So the people are, they're famished. They hadn't eaten. They defeat their enemies and they jump on them and they kill the animals right away and eat them without, without bl- taking the blood out of it. So they're eating the animals with the blood. This is a terrible sin. And, and, and they get rebuked for doing that. So this is an example of of one of the times when people disobeyed this command of God about drinking blood, which they were all very familiar with. Uh, Let's turn to John chapter 6. This, to me, gives me a a better appreciation for why the Jews struggled with this statement of Jesus, famous statement of Jesus. John 6 starting in verse 43. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They shall all be taught by God. Therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he taught in the synagogue. As, as these things he said in the synagogue, because he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some among you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning uh, who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you, No one can come to me unless it's been granted by the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Simon Peter said to him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we've come to believe and know you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." So this is a, this is, a, I think, if you if you understand this command in Leviticus, it was never from the beginning ever permissible for people to eat even the blood of an animal even the blood of a sheep never they had to they had to, to 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 bleed the animal out on the ground and cover the blood up with dirt and Jesus says unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no life in you remember also it still says that the life is in the blood and this the blood that's going this blood is required to make atonement and uh, so and what happens is, it says that from that time, many of his disciples that went back and walked with him no more, is that that, that teaching was so disturbing, was so upsetting, that a lot of his people left. This is, this is too hard of a teaching. They just couldn't process it. And the apostles, and Jesus doesn't say Come on back, guys. You didn't understand what I was saying. Let me, let me. It's not that bad. Come on back. He, he he does the opposite. He turns to the twelve and he says, "Do you want to leave too? The door is open. Go ahead. If you want to leave, you can." And, and Peter says, "Where else can we go?" You have the words of eternal life. We believe you're the Christ. I don't think Peter understood what he was saying. But he believed it was true somehow, some way. And, 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 he, and he hung in there. But Jesus sifted the crowd by saying extremely difficult teachings. Okay This, this, wasn't, this wasn't the seeker-friendly gospel. Okay? This is the weed-em-out gospel. But Jesus laid out the truth Extremely offensive, particularly somebody who's a good Jew who, who knew the law of Moses. And and it was more than a lot of people could handle. It was they stumbled over the stumbling block, the stumbling stone. In, in, in the Gospels, where Jesus talks about the Lord's Supper, let's turn to Matthew 26. So, this is right before Jesus gets betrayed. yes. In, in the Last Supper, in Matthew 26, in verse 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I say to you, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, So, Jesus says in John 6 that you have to eat His flesh and drink His blood. And then at the Last Supper, He says, take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. This is a mystery, but... They they accepted it, and I think that uh, Jesus wants us to accept, accept it too. The, the, and it talks about that in First Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians chapters uh, uh, nine, uh, nine and ten, or ten and eleven. Let's turn there. Significance of the Lord's Supper. First Corinthians ten twenty one. Paul says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. So this is the this is the cup of the Lord. This is the participation in the body and blood of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. One is hungry, another one is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I don't praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, Take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is, we gather together on the first day of the week, every week, like the church has from the beginning. We take the the bread and we take the wine, that in somehow, in some way, that we believe it's the body and blood of Christ. That the body and blood of Christ are present in the Bread and the wine that we take, and Jesus said, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So, uh, we take these things seriously, and um, we, 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 it's what it says. We need to examine our hearts, this is a very serious thing. In Hebrews 9 and 10, let's take a look there. In Hebrews 9, it talks about the setup of the tabernacle. And then in verse 6, I want you to think about all the references to blood in connection with what we're about to read here. Now when these things, Hebrews 9, 6, Now when these things put thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, that would be the most holy place, the high priest went alone once a year and not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with food and drinks, various washings, fleshly ordinances, imposed until the time of uh, reformation." But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living and living God. For this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who, uh, who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also be a necessity of the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Remember, that was what we read in, uh, I think it was was Exodus 24. The first covenant was, was established by Moses, where he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. The first covenant was established by blood. Verse 19, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Therefore it was necessary the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, Then he'd have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. For as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this the judgment, so also Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation." So what is the significance of this, of, of understanding the the importance that this, this idea of everything being cleansed with blood is pointing to Christ and pointing to the sacrifice, that the, the, the perfect sacrifice that would take place, that the, the physical shadows are pointing to the spiritual reality of Christ, the high priest, entering with his own blood to make atonement for us and to redeem us and to wash away our sins. In chapter 10 and verse 1, the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. for, for then they would not uh, would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the volume of the book it's written to me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Offerings and sacrifices, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are all offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first that may be established, the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which it can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he's perfected forever those being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit witnesses to us, for after he has said before, this is the covenant I will make with them in those days, says the Lord. I put my laws in their hearts and their minds, I will write them, and in their minds I will write them. And he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there's no longer and offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us <clears throat> through the veil, that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with hearts in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Yeah. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to stir up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as a manner of some, but exhorting one another and all the much more as you see the day approaching. I want to talk about some practical things for us to take away as Christians, appreciating the significance of blood and what Jesus did for us. In Acts 15, everybody in this room, to the best of my knowledge, is, a, is a, from a Gentile background. In Acts chapter 15, when the Gentiles started coming to the faith, the the apostles, let's turn to Acts 15. In Acts chapter 15, when the apostles came together in Jerusalem to decide what to do about the Gentiles who were coming to the faith, in verse 19, James says, Therefore I judge we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God, that we write them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses uh, uh, has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So, So they don't have to follow the law, they don't have to get circumcised, but there are four things that they can't do. And two of them, I think, tie in with this discussion of blood. he it says he said they abstain from blood and abstain from strangled animals. That's a, a strangled animal is an animal that, you know, they didn't get killed properly with the, with the blood removed from it. So, uh, uh, the when it says abstain from blood, I'll I'll put the reference in the notes. It's actually Ante-Nicene Fathers, uh, Volume Four, Page Six Fifty. Origin talks about this, and he says that the. The worship of demons is associated with blood. And even today, people who are involved in witchcraft and the occult, a lot of times it's involving blood sacrifice, things like that. Uh, Blood sacrifice or animals or or even a people has been involved in the past. And the idea was that the demons feast on, uh, the the, the, the wicked spirits uh, draw some power or some energy out of the blood. And so uh, there's something special about the blood and the Christians abstain from blood. So we don't eat blood pudding. We don't make things out of blood. There's something special about this that carries on. And you think about it. It was even it goes, it goes even before the law of, uh, of Moses. It goes all the way back to the flood of Noah. And before that, they couldn't eat animals anyway. So the blood has been prohibited all the way along. The life is in the blood. And atonement is made through the blood. So we treat the blood... Uh, is a sacred thing and we don't we don't eat blood uh that's how that's how early christians like origin understood that that statement there uh, i want to leave you leave you with one last thought my wife allison has been in the hospital and i was i was with her yesterday and i heard this sound of a helicopter as we're sitting in the in the room up on the sixth floor of mass general hospital i heard this sound of a helicopter that sounded too close and the nurse was explaining, oh, that's the medevac that's landing people on the roof of the building that we were in who were in extremely difficult shape. And I have no idea what a medevac costs. I'm assuming it's got to be at least $10,000 to take a trip on that. My wife was in the hospital at Mass General. And one of the things that, you know, and there's all the stuff on the news is, 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 they had horrible bad news, things that happening in the Middle East, people in terrible situations where, you know, the stories of people who were standing knee-deep in sewage and who are getting, who were getting uh, brutally killed and carried off to hospitals or dying in the street, uh, undergoing terrible, terrible persecution and terrible pain and suffering. And so, so my wife Allison is in Mass General Hospital getting outstanding medical care now she was in a very very desperate situation uh, thank God that, that, that she was able to go there but uh, she's sitting there and she's she's realizing all the specialists she's got four different medical teams from four different departments it's a very very uh, unusual situation that required some extremely competent medical attention so she's th- she's sitting there and she's saying, I wonder how much this treatment that I'm getting is costing, and I'm thinking, Mass General Hospital, you're getting, you know, you're getting world class surgeons working on everything else. I said, it could be a million dollars. I not have no idea, but it's in a huge amount of money that 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 this kind of medical care costs. And she's she's asking the question. She says, "Well, how come I get?" Now she's she's in she's in tough shape. So if she didn't get really good medical care, it'd be a very very bad outcome here. So she's saying, how come I get to have world class medical treatment, but there are other people just as good as I am who are suffering and have no hope? And then then there's other people who are being who are being fl- fl- flown into the hospital. It seems like. <laughs> And she's saying, well, how, much, how much do you think this, this costs? I mean, it's, not, it's not that it's coming out of our pocket, but there's a tremendous cost to providing round-the-clock medical care and surgical teams and all these other things associated with it. And, uh, you know, uh, Janet, you work at a, at a hospital, you probably have some idea on, on the enormous cost of medical care in the U.S., what it is. And, and how Allison felt about this was, if I get out of here... And I have full ability, full mobility, and ability to to get around if my my health health is fully restored. She's saying, I feel a real sense of responsibility that I better do something important with my life in in, in view of the investment that was made for me. I can't just sit around and 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 entertain myself to death. Now, Allison's a real has a real servant's heart, so she wouldn't do that anyway. But. This is reinforced because she sees the enormous cost that is going in to restoring her health. And I think if we think about that in connection with our own lives, let's turn to 1 Peter to drive drive this point home. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the redemption of Christ Jesus. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope were in God. So you think about the pile of gold and silver that it costs to, to take care of someone who is in dire shape who has a tremendous medical need and it says look that's nothing compared to the cru- the, the price that Christ paid for you. If you understand the price that was paid for you to redeem you and to give you life was the blood of the Son of God, the precious blood of a lamb without defect, that that was the what it took to redeem us. And I think that's what it's talking about in, in Hebrews, where it says if you deliberately keep on sinning, after you've re- received the knowledge of the truth, if you this is the same thing Peter's talking about, if you go back to the old way of life, the old way of the flesh, it says you have nothing to look forward to but condemnation. How dare you trample on the the, the blood of Christ and treat it as an uncommon or 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 a, a normal a regular thing to treat it in, in a, a way that's 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 not. Full of holiness and reverence and appreciation. If you realize the cost that it took, it should change your life. Amen. And uh, so, so let's let's think about that. Uh, don't eat blood, number one, and then the other one is remember the great cost at which we redeemed. As First John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from sin. So it's it's a uh, and this should produce in us a desire to be walking in the light, to continue to receive the cleansing, the cleansing of that blood which we first receive in baptism, and, and to appreciate the high cost at which we've been redeemed and live accordingly. Amen.